looking at John chapter 21, and uh, we'll start at verse 15. We're going to kind of focus on 15 to 20, uh, but I'll be reading to verse 25. John chapter 21, starting at verse 15, says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Well, have you ever said yes to something or signed up for something, and you weren't quite sure what you were getting into? Well, Several years ago, I had that happen to me. Somebody called up the church phone, and a lady I'd never met before, complete stranger, uh, never seen her before, never seen her since, and she said, hey, I'm moving. I can't find anyone to help me. Are you able to help me move or something to that effect? And so I said, sure, yeah, I can, I can help you move. And so then we started talking about the details of when she was moving and whatnot, and then it turned out not only did she want me to help her move, but she wanted me to get the truck for her and be responsible for driving the truck and taking the truck back and the whole deal. Now, I've never driven a moving, moving truck before, so I'm like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And so she got somebody else to, to drive the truck, and so then I go to her house to help, and it's a second floor apartment up these really steep, narrow stairs. And I go up there, you know, and you think that you're moving some little boxes and stuff. But we were moving appliances, like big stuff, big dressers, washers, dryers, the whole deal. Meanwhile, her uh, adult son was sleeping while we were there, and we were disturbing him, apparently, by moving things. So I took this other person with me, and he was helping me move the stuff, and I literally almost killed myself down those stairs. Uh, I, was, I was on the bottom, and the person that was on the top kind of lost his footing and dropped the washing machine on top of me, and so I start tumbling backwards, and thankfully I was able to regain my footing and not plummet to my death. But I'm doing this, and, and, and afterwards I'm thinking, like, what did I get myself into? I mean, I, I really wanted to help this lady out, but I wasn't willing to give my life to help her move. Sometimes we get involved in things or sign up for something we're not sure what we're getting involved in. Like, for example, have you ever, you know, you download an app or uh, have, you know, some kind of computer software and you have to sign this agreement, right? This privacy agreement, you have to agree to all these things. And, you know, nobody reads those things, right? It's like you check click next, go on to the next thing. Well, there was a few companies that kind of took advantage of that a few years ago, uh, specifically in the United Kingdom. And there was one company called Purple, and uh, they were based in Manchester, and they offered free wireless internet service to people, to 22,000 people. And they had to sign this little agreement, so people would click it, 
And they didn't realize that inside of that agreement, they were agreeing to spend a thousand hours of community service in return for this internet service. They also included in this that they were to, some of that uh, was to include cleaning toilets and relieving sewer blockages. In a story in The Guardian, representatives from Purple explained that they inserted the clause to illustrate the lack of consumer awareness of what they're signing up for when they access free Wi-Fi. But that's nothing compared to what uh, some people from London gave up when they signed up for F-Secure's Wi-Fi service. There was something called the Herod Clause that they inserted into the agreement, where if they used the service, they were uh, agreeing to assign their firstborn son to the company for all eternity. And then, of course, there was the British retailer Game Station, and they changed their license agreement to this pre-checked box. And if you didn't uncheck the box, then it said in the agreement that you were agreeing to give the company your soul for all eternity. Sometimes we get involved in things, we're not sure exactly what we're getting involved in. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he talks about what it looks like to follow him. And he encourages them to count the cost and consider what it's going to look like if, if you just decide to follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 30, it says this, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Following Jesus involves making a commitment, and Jesus tells his disciples, Make sure you know what you're getting into before you decide to follow after Jesus. Now, the Bible is a really cool book because in the Bible we see kind of the trajectory of what God is doing. We see his redemptive story, how he's redeeming people for himself. But also in the Bible we see individual people's stories. And a lot of times we can kind of identify with those people's stories. So we look at, you know, the story of Abraham, the story of Moses. And today I'd like to look with you for just a couple minutes at the story of Peter. Because I think that as Peter started following Jesus, he didn't know exactly what he was getting into. And as we go through his life, as it's recorded in Scripture, I think he's starting to come to more of an awareness of what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it takes to follow Jesus. Now, we first encounter Peter in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Peter is described as a fisherman. And he's out fishing with some, some of his family. It was a family business. And they're fishing all night long. They don't catch anything. And so then it's morning, and they're on the shore. They're washing their nets. And Jesus comes along, and he gets in uh, the boat, and he's just kind of teaching the crowd. And then he says to Peter and his family and, and some other people who had become disciples, hey, go out again, cast your nets into the deep, and go fishing again, and then they do that, and they cast, and they catch so many fish that literally uh, the uh, nets are breaking. They can't haul in all of these fish, and Peter is overwhelmed by this. And Jesus asked Peter, "Will you follow me?" And this was an incredible thing. And Peter is so overwhelmed, not only because Jesus had done this miraculous work, but but because Jesus, a rabbi, would ask him to follow. See, in the ancient world, when a rabbi, a person who was a rabbi, if you wanted to become a disciple of a rabbi, it was the disciple who would ask the rabbi, hey, rabbi, can I follow you? What would it take to follow you? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, the rabbi, asked the disciple to follow. Also, Peter was 
a fisherman. He wasn't part of the religious class. So he's overwhelmed by the miracle. He's overwhelmed by the invitation, and he follows after Jesus. It's recorded in Luke chapter 5, verses 8 to 11. It says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, talking about the miracle, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So Jesus, or Peter experiences this great miracle from Jesus, this great invitation from Jesus. And he just gets up, leaves his father's business, and he goes and he follows after Jesus. And then he encounters some incredible things in Jesus' ministry. He gets to see some really cool things that, you know, we could only dream of seeing. He gets to see Jesus open the eyes of a man born blind, healing the lame, casting out demons. He sees Jesus walking on the water, and he has the courage to actually go out and walk on the water with Jesus. Probably the only person, apart from Jesus, ever to walk on water. He experiences, he's there at the transfiguration when Jesus is, uh, his appearance is kind of changed and he's with Moses and Elijah. He experiences all, experiences all these incredible things. He experiences the uh, resurrection of Lazarus. He gets to see a man who was dead, who was stinking in the grave, and he gets up and walks out. So Peter has experienced some incredible things. He made some incredible commitments to Christ. In Luke chapter 9, Peter confesses his faith in Christ, that Jesus is the Christ of God. In Mark 14, Jesus states that all of his disciples will eventually abandon him, and yet Peter says, no, not me. He says, even though they all fall away, I will not fall away. In other words, my love for you, my loyalty to you is greater than all the other disciples. Luke chapter 22, Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And he even seems to back up his words to a certain extent. When Jesus is arrested, he brings out a sword, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, and he's ready to go down swinging. But here's the thing. He has trouble accepting the will of God. Remember when Jesus tells the disciples what he's, what's about to happen, how he's going to die and be crucified. Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. He says, no, Lord, may it never be. You are not going to be crucified. You are not going to be cursed by God on that cross. This is not going to become of you. Then we all know what happens after Jesus is arrested. Peter's in the courtyard of the high priest sitting around the fire, and he denies Jesus three times. Then we see at the beginning of chapter 21, after Jesus has been crucified and after Jesus has rose again, he appears to a few of his disciples, and, but he's not you know, dwelling with them. He's not presently with them. And so Peter gets up one day. He's like, I'm going fishing. You know, we don't want to read too much into this, but maybe he's saying, I'm going to what I know. You know, I don't know what's happening with Jesus. He's not with us anymore. I don't know what I should be doing. I'm going back to what I know. So he goes back to fishing. And I think what's cool about this scene is that he, Jesus, I think, is recreating the scene of when uh, Peter first was called to follow him. Remember when Peter was first called to follow Jesus? They were fishing all night, 
and didn't catch anything. Here in this passage, in chapter 21, what happens? Peter says, I'm going fishing. Disciples follow him. They're fishing all night. They don't catch anything. And then it's morning, and then Jesus is on the shore. Maybe at first they don't even know that it's Jesus. Maybe it's from a distance. And he yells out, cast your nets on the other side. And they cast their nets on the other side. And all of a sudden, there's so many fish that the nets are breaking. 153 fish, it says in the text. And it's just a similar, a similar uh, situation to when Jesus first called uh, Peter. And I think that Peter maybe kind of catches that. Because maybe he didn't at first know who was on the shore yelling to him, but as soon as those fi- they caught those fish, he knew exactly who it was. And so he leaves the boat behind, leaves the disciples behind. He jumps in the water, and he swims towards Jesus. I think he realizes in that moment that the same Jesus who had called him those years before is once again calling him again. Years ago, uh, I proposed to my wife in Lewiston, in a certain location in Lewiston. And when I proposed where I had, you know, set up a certain scene, and I had music playing and certain songs playing, and of course I got down on one knee and asked her, will you marry me? Then a few years after that, it was the same day, you know, anniversary of, of our proposal, and I had a special gift to give her. So I took her back to that same place, had the same music playing, and I got down on one knee again, and I said, will you marry me? And when I did that, what I was doing was I was saying, just like I chose you years ago, I'm choosing you again. Just like I wanted you to marry me years ago, I want you to marry me today. And I think that's kind of what's happening in this passage. Jesus calls Peter to follow him years ago, and then in this scene, so much has happened. There's so many things that have been done, so many mistakes that Peter has made, and I think Jesus is communicating, I still want you. I still love you. I still want you to follow after me. It's an incredible picture of the grace and restoration that is offered in Christ, that even though Peter has failed Jesus, even though he's denied him three times, even though he had trouble accepting the will of God, Jesus says, I love you, I died for you, I rose again, and I still have a purpose for you. It's an incredible picture of grace. So Peter takes off his outer garments, he jumps into the water, he swims to the shore to Jesus, and then the disciples come along with Uh, a bucket load of fish, and they have breakfast on the shore. Fish for breakfast. Sounds a little bit weird, but I guess they did that back then. So they have a fire, and they're standing around the fire, and again, it's kind of a recreation of another scene that happened just a few days ago. Just a few days prior, Peter was standing around a different fire. A fire in the courtyard of the high priest where people said, Hey, I saw you with Jesus. I know that you're one of them, and he says, I I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. And so it's a recreation of that scene. Now they're standing around a different fire, and Jesus asks him three times the same question. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, when he says, do you love me more than these, what is Jesus talking about? There's a few different options. I think two of them are most, most plausible But what is he saying when he says, do you love me more than these? I think the first option is that he's saying, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? 
Do you love me more than your profession? Now, Peter had uh, kind of went back to doing his own thing. It wasn't that it was wrong what he was doing, but he went back to his old way of life rather than following after the plan that God had for him. And so maybe Jesus is asking him, Simon, do you love me more than your dreams, more than these fish, more than the profession, more than what you know? Second option is, Maybe he's asking him, Simon, do you love me more than all these other disciples love me? Do you love me more than they do? Because remember back, way back when, before Jesus is crucified, Peter says, yeah, they might fail you, but I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to be with you to the death. I'm going to go to prison for you. I love you more than any of these other people do. So maybe Peter, Jesus is asking Peter, Simon, do you really think you still love me more than all these other disciples? Now remember Peter, if you know anything about Peter, he's the spokesman for the group oftentimes. It's like if, if the disciples are thinking something, he's the one to say it. He's not shy. He's bold, sometimes maybe even a cocky or arrogant. So previously, we might expect Peter to say, answer this question, yes, Lord, Obviously, I love you more than all of these other people. I'm your best disciples. There, there's no other disciple like me. But Peter doesn't do that here. He has a more, much more measured response. He says, yes, Lord, you know. Yes, Lord, you know. Jesus asks him again, yes, Lord, you know. He asks him a third time, and Peter is getting upset. He says, yes, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. Why is he so upset? Because he doesn't have any evidence in his life to point to the fact that he loves Jesus. I mean, he does. It's in his heart. But you think about it, it's like, Jesus, of course I love you. I remember in the garden, you know, you asked me to pray for you when you were going into this dark time in your life. Remember you asked me to pray for you? And I was there praying all night. He couldn't say that. Because Jesus asked him that and he fell asleep. He couldn't say, yes, Lord, I love you. Remember, I'm so proud of you. I was so proud of what you did for everyone and dying on the cross. He couldn't do that because when the cross came, Jesus, Peter denied Jesus. He couldn't say, yes, Lord, I love you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you are going to rise again from the grave. He probably didn't believe that. He can't point to his record to show his love for Christ. And so all he can say is, yes, Lord, you know what's on my heart. Then Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. And he's probably okay with that. That points to his kind of mission in the early church, feeding the sheep of God. But then Jesus brings up something that I think that Peter had trouble with the whole time. He brings up the cross. Now, when I've always looked at and thought about Peter's denial of Christ, I always thought of it in terms of, like, Peter denied Jesus because he was just terrified that he was going to be crucified with Jesus. And so it's like he was out there, didn't want to be identified, didn't want the same fate to happen to him that hap that's going to happen to Jesus. And so he just denies Jesus out of fear. But as I look at the story closer, I'm wondering if that's really the case, if it's really all fear. Because remember, Peter told Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to go to prison for you. And, and I don't think he was just blowing smoke. I think he was sincere in that. And then you think about Jesus' arrest. And, and once again, what happens? If, if Jesus is getting arrested, all these religious authorities, people with weapons come. If 
Peter was simply terrified, fearful, he would have run the other direction. But he doesn't do that. He pulls out his sword, and he's ready to fight. And he's willing to go down with Jesus. He's willing to fight for Jesus, but the thing is, he's not really willing to surrender. He's willing to fight and prevent Jesus from going to the cross, but he's not willing to lay down his sword. He's not will- he's, he's, he has trouble with the statement that Jesus tells him. John chapter 18, verse 11, Put your sword into his sheath. Shall not, I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? He's willing to fight. He's not willing to surrender. He has trouble with this idea that Jesus would die and that he would die on the cross. Then, Jesus, then Peter denies him, and I think there might be even a shred of truth in what Peter says. He says, I don't know the man. And in a sense, maybe there was a little bit of disillusionment there. It's like, I, I thought that I knew him. I mean, I thought that he was going to be this great king, that he's the Messiah. I was going to be his right-hand man, and I was ready to fight for him. I was ready to make sure that he was on the throne, and yet he's choosing to die. He's choosing to lay down the weapons. I mean, I thought that I knew him, but I don't know that I actually know who he is. Then, of course, Jesus rises from the dead, and the disciples start to realize that it's through death that Jesus brings victory, that that death was a vicarious death, that it was taking our punishment, taking the sins of humanity upon himself, and that he defeated sin and death in the resurrection. But then here in this passage, Peter is confronted once again with that thing that he had trouble with, the cross. Jesus tells him this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. The image here is the image of the cross. Jesus is telling Peter that you are going to go to the cross. Before Jesus' resurrection, when Peter experienced the reality of the cross, he rebuked Jesus. Then he denied Jesus. But now he's willing to follow the plan that Jesus has for for him that eventually he'll have the same fate as Jesus, that he'll be a martyr for Christ. So what relevance does this passage have for us today, living in the 21st, 21st century? Well, I think that some, in some ways we can be a lot like Peter. I think Peter's fundamental problem was that he wanted to follow after Christ, but he wanted to follow after Christ on his own terms. He was willing to follow Christ to glory, but he was not willing to follow Christ to the cross. He was willing to fight, but he wasn't willing to surrender. Now, when we talk about what it means to follow after Jesus, we like to try to make it real simple, real easy. And there's a sense in which it is. But it's like, you know, just believe in Jesus, just accept Jesus into our hearts, you know, and sometimes we even take that to mean just accepting a principle that, like, we believe Jesus, you know, historically rose from the dead or something like that. But Jesus didn't talk like that when he was inviting people to follow him. He said, come to me and die. He tells Peter, hey, you're going to be crucified on a cross. Will you follow me there? I mean, he says things that just kind of are hard and difficult to accept. And literally, there's some places in the world today where that's literally true. Where if you become a believer in Christ, you are probably headed to an early death. 
Before again, before Jesus is crucified, when Peter rebukes Jesus about going to the cross, after that, Jesus gets up in the front of the crowds and says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Following after Jesus leads us either figuratively or literally to the cross. After this, Peter, of course, doesn't like the calling that God has on his life, that he's going to go to the cross, that he's going to die a martyr's death. And then he says, he sees John following along and says, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And in essence, Jesus says, that, that, that's not your concern. That's none of your business what's happens to him. If I want him to stay around until I return, if I want him to be hundreds of years old, that's my plan for him. Don't worry about what the plan is for him. Just to worry about what I have for you. And I think we see something incredible in terms of a change in Peter. See, before the resurrection of Jesus, I think Peter could say that he gave Jesus his loyalty, his support, his admiration, maybe even his belief. But I think after the resurrection, he could say that he gave Jesus his heart, that he gave Jesus everything that he had. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at here when he asks Peter these three times, do you love me? I think he, Jesus is saying, I've given everything for you. I went to the cross for you. I poured out my blood. My body was broken. I rose again so that you might have life. I've given you my heart. Will you give me your heart? I know you've made mistakes. I know you've failed. I know that you're going to fail. But just like I called you years ago, I want you to follow me today. Can I have your heart? Will you go and follow after me? Now, does that mean that we're supposed to just kind of live this ascetic lifestyle that we're supposed to just make ourselves miserable and just do the most difficult, terrible things? No. Does that mean we're trying to earn our salvation? No, it simply means that we're going with Jesus wherever he takes us. Hopefully none of us have that destination at the cross. Hopefully that's not God's plan for us. But if it is, if he has our hearts, that's where we go. We go wherever he takes us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Disciple, Discipleship, said this, Self-denial is never just a series of isolated acts of mortification or asceticism. It is not suicide, for there is an element of self-will even in that. To deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is he leads the way. Keep close to him. So it's not about earning our salvation. It's not about doing difficult things. It's that Jesus Christ is before us. He has our hearts, and we follow after him no matter where he takes us. And so the question that I think Jesus asked Peter is the question, do I have your heart, Peter? And I think that's the question he'd ask us today. Let me tell you about a young man. His name was Chase, and Chase uh, was an Olympic swimmer, or, or uh, he was on the road to be an Olympic swimmer, elite swimmer, 
Uh, is only 13 years old, and back in 2014, he was at this uh, swimming meet, and he discovered that he had this lump on the back of his leg. And he went to the doctor. It was discovered that it was a form of cancer called Ewing sarcoma. And so they did radiation. They removed it, and he was, after a short time, he was cancer-free. But then it came back after a year, the same spot where it was, it came back, and you know, he had treatment again, and once again, he was cancer-free. Then in the winter of 2018, he met a young lady from another high school uh, who was an elite diver. Her name was Sadie. And uh, they had this kind of ice cream social, and they met there, and nothing really came of it. They just kind of uh, were acquainted to one another. Then in April 2019, his cancer returned. This time was on the lower part of his lung. But he had, you know, treatment again, and once again, he was cancer-free. Then in November of 2019, he worked up the courage to ask Sadie out on a date. And of course, she said yes, and she, they went on the date, had a great time, and then Sadie went home and told her mom that Chase was her soulmate. March 2020, unfortunately, Chase got the diagnosis that his cancer had returned. Late April, 2000, April 2020, they did scans of his body, and the scans were catastrophic. They found that there was tumors all over his brain that had gone all over his body, and he was given a diagnosis of three to five months to live. He's only 19, 18 or 19 years old, high school senior. A few days after that, he decided, they decided that they were going to get married. So it's in the midst of the you know, COVID-19 pandemic. They can't even have a wedding, a traditional wedding. So they stand at the end of Sadie's parents' driveway. They made their vows, and they were married. Of course, the first year of marriage was unlike any other marriage. It was spent in and out of hospitals. It was spent with Chase experiencing debilitating pain and fatigue, with Sadie there by his side. Chase was able to coach swimming uh, for his high school, and he was able to attend uh, some of Sadie's diving meets. But unfortunately, in April, April 7th, 2021, just a few weeks ago, he passed away and went to be with the Lord with Sadie by his side. Now, the good news was they were believers in Christ, and so he knew where he was going. But I think about that story and, and the love that they had for one another. You know, and you think about it from the perspective of Sadie, and she's just, you know, 18, 19 years old, and saying I do to Chase meant that she was going to have to experience some really difficult things. She's going to have to be in and out of the hospital. She's going to have to see someone who she loves so deeply suffer so much. It also means that she's going to be a widow at the age of 19. Yet none of those things matter because Chase had her heart. It didn't matter what the journey was going to look like. It didn't matter if she had five days with Chase, five years, or a lifetime. Chase, she, had, she had given Chase her heart. And so she was willing to go with him wherever the journey took. And I think that's a picture of our relationship with Christ, what Christ is looking for. We love because he first loved us. He made the first new move. He made the proposal, so to speak. He came to the earth and died on the cross for us and rose again. He says, here's my heart. Here's my all. I want you to follow me. 
Can I have your heart? That's what he asked Peter, and I think that's what he is asking us today. Do I have your heart? Will you go with me, even if that road takes, to, takes us to difficult places? Does Jesus have your heart today? Do you, can you answer that question? Do you love me? Do you love me? Have you given him your heart? Have you given him your whole? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet broken, going our own way, you came to the earth to die on the cross for us, to rise again so that we could have a relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for your incredible grace. We thank you that even though we've denied you, even though we've gone our own way, you still choose us. You still want us to follow after you. It's such an incredible thought that you would care about us even though we've failed you so many times. We thank you for your incredible grace. Lord, help us to follow you with all of our hearts. Help us to love you with all of our hearts, even when it leads us to difficult places because we know there's nowhere that we can go where you're not present with us. You've promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. Whether it's the road to glory or the road to the cross, we want to follow after you because we love you with all of our hearts. In Christ's name I pray, amen.